Hello and welcome to the Old and in the Way comedy podcast with Bob and Mark and welcome to part two of our interview with Steve Kaiser. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. How are you guys doing? You look good with the bridge uh, behind you. It looks just uh, a perfect setting for your uh, story. I live in the most beautiful place in the world. Really? I would agree. Um, we enjoyed this so much last time, but there were a couple stories that we still wanted to follow up on. One of which was your uh, Norman Greenbaum experience when you decided that you were going to walk away from the show that you were in because something just happened to you that caused you to. Yeah, one of the most uh, interesting days of my life. This is uh, June 12th, 2016. And I'm at the Hate Street Fair, which is an annual uh, street fair in San Francisco uh, with a lot of live music and a lot of crazy people. Um, I was walking up and down Hate Street uh, before the music had started, just feeling glorious. It was just a wonderful day. And I was just so happy that I've had all these amazing years in the music business. And I have all these great musician friends, many of which were, were playing that day. Um, so the music started and uh, it was a, a Quicksilver Messenger Service uh, tribute band uh, that was playing. And um, they came to the end of their set and they said, we're gonna have Norman Greenbaum come up to the stage and, uh, and, and do, um, do his famous song, uh, Spirit in the Sky. So Norman came up and I was standing literally with my hand on the stage, I was right in the front row. And Norman sang his song. And while he was singing Spirit in the Sky, I started to cry. And I'm going, this is crazy. This is the greatest day of my life. Why in the world am I crying? And I thought they must just be tears of joy. So I let it go and listened to the end of the song and they ended their set. And they said, the next band will be up in 20 minutes. And I walked away from the stage. And a voice in my head said, Steve, go home. I went, what are you talking about? Go home. I'm, I'm having this glorious, amazing day. And again, the voice said very loudly, go home, Steve. So I uh, had a motorcycle there. I hopped on my bike. I uh, rode back home to my uh, home in Marin County and uh, looked at my cell phone when I got off my motorcycle and my sister had left me a message saying, please call me right away. I knew what that was going to be about. Uh, my mom, who at the time was 92 years old and living in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, um, had, was not well. So I called Lynn and I said, what's up, sister? And um, she said, mom has passed away. So we talked for a few minutes. And I said, Lynn, would you happen to know the exact time that mom passed? And she said, yes, it was uh, 4.10, I believe she said, 4.10 p.m. So 4.10 p.m. in Baltimore would have been 1.10 p.m. in San Francisco, which was the exact moment that I was watching Norman Greenbaum sing Spirit in the Sky and tears were flowing down my eyes. So it all kind of made sense at that point. Um, and it was just a, a marvelous uh, and, a, and a painful moment. Um, I saw Norman at a party a few weeks later and I told him that story and he gave me a big hug and um, you know, he said he'd heard stories, something like that in the past, but um, it was just an amazing uh, coincidence of times. And then I looked back at some videos and some pictures that I had taken that day of Norman singing and over his head was a very bright light and it wasn't the sun. I'm sure it was my mom. Wow. Wow. It's beautiful. Very beautiful. That's a song that's very meaningful to a lot of people. I, I think it's probably the greatest one-hit wonder in history. Well, it is. And um, 
Uh, after my mom passed, my brother and sister, who both live in the north in the uh, in the Bay Area, and I flew back to Baltimore um, for the funeral, which was going to be that Sunday. And uh, we met with the rabbi who, and told the rabbi stories about my mom. So it was a female rabbi. So she would have some some things to say at the funeral. And uh, at the end of our discussion, I told her my story of the, the Norman Greenbaum song. And she was moved to tears. Um, she knew the song very well and um, you know, just thought it was an amazing story. So uh, at the end of the funeral, which was attended by about 30 or 40 people, it was just a graveside funeral. Um, the, the rabbi recounted my story uh, of the Norman Greenbaum song um, oh, passing. And at the end of this service, she said, we're going to end the service by singing together a little bit of Spirit in the Sky. Oh. And everybody joined in um, singing uh, Spirit in the Sky um, to, to end the service. Um, I walked up to everybody after the service and thanked them for coming and everything. And you know, I said to a few people, and this is so weird, I said, this is the strangest thing I've ever said in my life. This is the most beautiful funeral I've ever been to. And it was my mom's funeral. Uh, it just felt so complete um, with that spirit in the sky. And fortunately, I had turned on my phone, so I did record that. Um, so I have that to, to listen back to. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Awesome. Yeah. And that song for Norman, I'm guessing that's been paying his bill since day one. I imagine so. I mean, this was in, uh, I think, 1969, the song came out. He, you know, he's the, the classic one-hit wonder. Um, but there are uh, companies that have used it in their ads and everything, so I hope it continues to take care of them because it's it's really the one-hit wonder of all time in my mind. It, it, it's such a classic song. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's, uh, that is and will continue to pay his bills. Good for him. Good for him. An artista makes real good. Yes. The two that come to my mind always when people say one hit wonders are, are that and Midnight at the Oasis uh, of our, our mutual friend Maria. Maria, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I went, I, went, I went to Maria's 80th birthday party a few weeks ago and um, she did her, her, her classic hits as well as a bunch of other great tunes. I talk about a work pony. Yeah. When you connected with Big Brother and the Holding Company, were you there when Janice was around? No, I was not. I was okay. not. Um, uh, Janice passed away in uh, 1970. Um, she had already left Big Brother and formed Full Tilt Boogie and Cosmic Blues Band and uh, sang with one of those groups at, at Woodstock, which I did see her. Um, she passed away in 1970, and Big Brother. Um, continued to play with Nick Rabinitis and Kathy McDonald and a few others until 1972. Um, the band decided to, to, to stop playing in 1972. 15 years later, 1987, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, the original four members, Sam Andrew, Peter Alvin, Dave Getz, and James Gurley, uh, decided to reunite and reform the band. Um, I had been working with Peter Alvin at that time in a band called Dinosaurs, which was an all-star uh, old hippie band. And um, Peter had asked me if I would uh, help take care of business for the newly reformed Big Brother and the Holding Company. So I started to book them and I did some management duties and some publicity duties. And um, I've been working with them ever since. In fact, I just uh, yesterday uh, booked them for a show in uh, September up in Carson City, Nevada. Well, who, um, I got to meet uh, Sam and was just blown away at what a sweet, nice guy he is. Just down to earth as all gets. 
Um, who's uh, taken over his position? Well, um, Tom Finch uh, is a great guitar player and also okay. David Aguilar. So those two guys, okay. James Gurley, uh, Sam Andrew, are part of the uh, the equation. Of course, it's still Peter Alvin and Dave Getz in the rhythm section on uh, bass and drums. And then uh, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Darby Gould has been uh, filling in the jazz part for many years. Um, oh boy. Prior to that, Darby was the uh, the Gray Slick and Jefferson Starship. And, sure. Uh, I toured, toured with them as their tour manager for a couple of years, so I know Darby very well. And um, she does um, just such a wonderful Janice. And um, it's just such a beautiful experience to see a room full of people singing along to uh, uh, you know, all of her famous hits. Um, and um, you know, it's a blessing for me to be able to have worked with uh, you know, these, these legendary musicians. Sure. Your connections are pretty amazing. Uh, I love the photo page that you have on your website. It's just a who's who of the biggest whenever. Um, it's just mind boggling the uh, connections you've made throughout your travels and journey. I'm very fortunate because growing up uh, in the 60s, um, music was really my salvation. Um, and uh, I hadn't gotten into the business yet, of course, but. Uh, Music meant so much to me, and as an adult, I've been able to befriend and, and work with and support uh, many of those musicians that I, I really worshipped uh, earlier in my life, so it's, it's been a great ride. Um, by the way, my website is uh, www.stevekaiser.com, and that's S-T-E-V-E-K-E-Y-S-E-R.com. Um, as you mentioned, I have over 100 photographs, most of which I've taken. Um, from my musical experience that are on the website. There's also over a hundred videos, many of which I shot of, um, of shows and concerts uh, that I've been involved with over the years. Um, and also my book, which is called Rock and Kaiser Roll. Um, and it's, it's a free ebook, so uh, it's not uh, printed out, um, but you can, um, you can read that online. What I recommend that people do if they want to read the book is click on the book and it'll go to the book page on my website. Right click on that page, download the book to your desktop, and then you can read it from your desktop. It's over 140 pages with over 140 photographs. So rather than going back online and figure out where did I leave off, you have it on your desktop and you can just leave it open and read it at your, you know, at your leisure. I've read it cover to cover and also to let you know on our first interview in the video we've included your website and a picture of the book and um, so we're here to promote that. Thank you, I appreciate You're that. Incredibly generous to, uh, to offer a book like that free. Yeah, you really should get that published and make an ungodly amount of money from it. Well, a couple of things. I, I didn't write the book to, to make any money. Um, I, it was during COVID and things were, you know, kind of slow and people for years have said, Steve, you should write a book. And I said, nah, who wants to read that? So I, I during COVID, I sat down and I started to write the book and a few months later it was done. Um, again, 140 pages with 140 mostly color photographs would be insanely expensive to print out. And, um, you know, I'd have to be charging 40, 50, 60 bucks for the book even just to cover the expenses. And again, it was not my intention to, um, you know, to have this be a money-making project, but just to, just to kind of share my experience. 
it almost didn't matter if people didn't read it. I just wanted to kind of get it out there. And, and, you know, sure. I, I would imagine it was almost therapeutic during the pandemic to write it. And it, was, it, it was because um, as I look back on my life, it's been like, wow, man, <laughs> look at all these amazing things you've done and all these wonderful people you've been involved with and all the, the you know, the, the concerts and the festivals and, and on and on and on. So um, it, it was really a, a, a wonderful experience for me to just to kind of put that all in one place. And, you know, if people wanted to, to read it and, and, and share it, then all the better. And a part of all that that I really enjoy is that the dinosaurs finally get their due because they were this incredible band that I don't think a whole lot of people beyond the Bay Area have any idea about. That's very true. Um, back in 1981, um, I only had one act that I was working with, which was Michael Bloomfield's backup band, Chicago Blues Power. And... Um, this musician named Michael DeJong, wonderful guy, wonderful player and singer, I uh, used to come in and sit in with Chicago Blues Power. And he's talking to me one day in 1981 saying, and a friend of mine um, has been studying for uh, his law career and just passed the bar and he wants to uh, form a band. I said, okay, great, and he, and he needs some help. I said, okay, who is that? And he says, well, his name is Barry Melton, of course, who I knew as the fish from Country Joe and the Fish. So Barry and I had lunch and um, talked things over. And um, he put together a trio with Spencer Dryden from uh, Jefferson Airplane and Peter Alvin from Big Brother. And um, then um, needed that fourth player. So he called up John Cipollina and he said, hey, John, how about dinosaurs? And John, John said, sure, that sounds great. So they formed the band and um, uh, they did a couple of gigs as the quartet. Um, three or four months down the road, they played a gig at, uh, for Bill Graham at the Old Waldorf. And um, Robert Hunter from the Grateful Dead came down and sat in. He loved it. And he decided to join the band. And um, they played as that quintet for uh, a number of years till 1985 when Hunter said uh, he was going to leave the band. And uh, at that point, Merle Saunders uh, took his place. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. And uh, it, it's interesting because um, people from time to time ask me, you know, who sat in with the dinosaurs? So I went through all of my lists and my videos and my pictures. I've come up with 41 other musicians that at one time or another sat in with dinosaurs, um, anywhere from Nicky Hopkins to Michael Wilhelm and on and on and on. But um, it was just a, an amazing uh, group of people. Uh, they never rehearsed, they never had a set list, um, and they were really all about music in the moment, which is really what music is. It's what's coming out yeah. of you now. It's not what you rehearsed. Uh, it's not what you put on the set list. So they really kind of were true to that um, philosophy of music, of, of being in the moment, and of sharing that. And, and the name of the band was Dinosaurs, and people used to call them the Dinosaurs, and Barry Melton always corrected them and said, no, we're not the Dinosaurs. There are many, many dinosaurs. We are just dinosaurs. And, um, and he had a lot of his bro their brothers and sisters come and sit in from time to time. Wow. Very cool. I, I have a question. Uh... We talked last time about uh, the tribute bands that you've been involved with, and I think you're really a, a market leader in, in, in offering those. But I'm curious, uh, is it something where they formed and come like a, a band like like the Wilburys tribute band or, or the, the Johnny and June? Do they come to you fully formed or do you have an idea that or and, and, and find the musicians? 
No, they come to me fully formed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just you know ready to expand their the horizon. So yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the Wilburys upcoming gig in, in Sonoma. Wilburys are amazing. Yeah. Can I throw you a little curve? Excuse me? Can I throw you a little curve? Yes. Um, we both grew up on the East Coast. We're of a similar age. Growing up, uh, what was your take on Rolling Stone magazine? Because for me, it made everything bigger than life. And I had no idea that five to 10 years later, I would actually be interacting with some of these people who were just, at first, it was almost intimidating to just cross paths with them. Very much saying the truth true for me. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine was a was a, a godsend. It was a Bible. It was, uh, you know, it was it was my people. And um, you know, we, we we the Woodstock Nation, um, you know, I, I felt a part of it after I got back from the Woodstock Festival. But Rolling Stone magazine was a, you know, a regular uh, update on, on what was happening in this world that I loved. I thought it was significant to the whole experience, and they did a beautiful job, and the writing was spectacular. No question about it. Yeah. And all came in, coming out of San Francisco originally. Indeed. Uh, Jan Werner, was that his Jan name? Jan Werner, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then he screwed up everything and moved it to New York. But um, yeah. I, I'm, and, and now is it basically an online publication or does it even exist? I don't know if the hard copy exists anymore, but. Um, it's just rolled yeah. out a podcast. I keep saying ads for yeah, okay. Because yeah. Yeah. I think your story would have read beautifully uh, when it was still on paper and everything. I, they could like republish your book, uh, you know, chapter by chapter every month. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. So I have a, I have a question. I, I noticed our mutual friend Michael Gaiman this week uh, was flying around and, and went to see uh, Dylan. The, uh, uh, the, whatever the, the, the last version of the Grateful Dead show somewhere in Europe and then Dylan live somewhere in Europe and then the same week The Who sort of making a pilgrimage with his son. I was just wondering what you attribute the longevity uh, and I know Paul McCartney is still playing. Uh, were all these bands just so much better than, I mean, Obviously, young people are interested uh, in, in ways that wouldn't have been common to, to our generation of, of, of being into old people. So what do you attribute? I mean, was it just the genius of these particular bands, or was it the moment, or anything anything that, that, that you know, why these people are still so big that they can sell stadiums at, at an advanced age? Well, a couple of reasons occur to me. First of all, I like to tell people I'm glad I'm as old as I am because I grew up in the greatest era of music ever. And other generations may say that for their generations as well, but um, you know, I think that the, the proof is in the pudding with, with all the amazing acts that came out of that era. Many of them still endure. And um, you know, so, so people when they're going to hear live music, obviously would like to hear you know, from the greatest. So whether that's an original who is still performing or a tribute to that individual or that band, um, music is, is a very magical experience. It allows us 
an hour or two or three to go to a live concert, to forget about all the troubles and woes in our lives and all the craziness in this crazy messed up world. And just be present, be present with the joy, be present and experience the happiness, the sadness that may come out of that music. And for many people, just hearing that music and singing along and remembering when they were 18, when that song came out and life was a little bit, a little bit easier. So I think, I think it's kind of all of those things that we hold on to the past because those memories are so wonderful. Uh, that time was so great. And again, the world now is just in a, in a really rough state and music kind of gives us uh, that break and that salvation to be able to just be in the moment and, and experience that joy. Okay. Be here now. Exactly, exactly, be here now. Cool. And to do that in a group setting is that much more powerful because it's not just you having that memory and having that joy of singing along to that song, it's dozens or thousands of other people, which you know, certainly magnifies the power of music. And for a brief moment in time, it kind of embodies the whole peace, love, and happiness thing, which is not anything that just happens. Uh, you're put in a context where um, when, when it's a great concert, it's something that you've shared with a large number of people. Um, I saw Queen in San Francisco and the audience, um, it was the first time I've ever seen the audience as they do in Europe, sing along with the group. And there was such a huge gay presence there that loved um, Freddie Mercury. Uh, it's one of the best concerts that I've, I've ever been to. It surprised me. And this was right during their, um, the two Groucho Marx albums, uh, Day at the Races, and I'm trying to think what the other one was, where they ripped off uh, two Marx Brother movie titles. But um, San Francisco is a unique place, I would think, for seeing anything. Uh, it's a great audience. No, I agree. And, um, you know, music is different because there's other group experiences like sports, uh, uh, movies, live theater, where there's a, a, a lot of people kind of focused on one thing. Mm -hmm. All of those other things require some effort. You have to participate in a ball game. You have to participate when you're watching a movie. You have to be involved and pay attention when you're watching a live theater. With music, you don't have to do any of those things. No thought, you can be blind um, and, and, you, and just be and let the music wash over you and, 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 and work its magic. I agree. Okay, we're, we're running out of time and I think we're about at the same length as, as last time. So uh, Steve, I just wanna thank you for uh, giving us so much time and, and sharing your memories. Uh, this has been a, a high point podcast for me. Well, I've always said that um, nothing that you've had or that you've done is any good unless you can share it. And I've just been blessed as I will say again and again and again to be able to support musicians and to play my my little tiny part in in keeping live music going.
Right Thank on. you both very much. I, nice I really work. Nice work. Thank you, Steve. Good on you. Thank you, guys.